You just have your bottle of gin right beside you. I should do that. Masterpiece in three, two, one. Who goes first? So I'm. Who's on first? What's on second? Who's on third? Do you feel that you're more of an expert on Masters of the Universe lore than you've ever been in your life? It's strange. Uh, it, it, it's almost like I've been training for this moment <laughs> since 1982. I've watched the first two episodes several times, and just before we started the podcast, Jason, I watched the entire episode, uh, episode one, in vibrant Japanese. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max and today we will be con continuing our deep dive into Masters of the Universe Revelation. Or as I have it in my notes quite often, Moar. The show is directed by Kevin Smith, written by Kevin Smith and a team of writers. I still haven't figured out the rest of the team, but the cast is Chris Wood as He-Man and Prince Adam, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila, Lena Headey as Evil Lynn, Mark Hamill as Skeletor, Tiffany Smith as Andra or Andra, Diedrich Bader as Trapjaw, Liam Cunningham as Man-at-Arms, Susan Eisenberg as Sorceress, Justin Long as Roboto, we won't talk about him today, Griffin Newman as Orko, Kevin Michael Richardson as Beastman, and Henry Rollins as the one and only Triclops. Today we're going to be covering episodes one and two of Masters of the Universe Revelations, and the first episode is called The Power of Grayskull. Sidebar. I'm going to do a major trivia dump here in this sidebar. I'm going to tell you when each figure for any of the major characters that are featured in the show in this episode came out and what wave they were part of, what year they came out for both the Evil Warriors and the Heroic Warriors. Here we go for the Heroic Warriors in episode one of Masters of the Universe Revelations. He-Man came out in 1982, was in wave one. Battlecat, 1982, wave one. Fisto, 1984, wave three. Man-at-Arms, 1982, wave one. Mossman, 1984, wave Wave 4, Orko, 1984, Wave 3, Prince Adam, 1984, Wave 3, Sorceress, 1987, Wave 6, Tila, 1982, Wave 1, Clamp Champ, 1987, Wave 6. For the Evil Warriors, we have Faker, uh, 1983, Wave 2, Evil Lynn, 1983, Wave 2, Clawful, 1984, Wave 3, Night Stalker, which is the big horse, the mechanical horse in, that you see in the show, 1985, Wave 4, Skeletor, 1982, Wave 1, Spikor, 1985, Wave 4. So into the sidebar of Super Trivia. And I will give you, audience, a brilliant synopsis if I can find my notes. This is somewhat of a new format that we're kind of playing with to get the synopsis out of the way. For those of those of you that have been with us from the beginning, we kind of did this with Batman Returns, which was episode two, for those of you that are keeping track of all, our, all of our episodes in a, uh, a ring notebook and are just totally devoted to everything that we do and every word that, that, that drops from our mouths. But we're going to try to just give you the synopsis uh, we're going to front load it and then and then have a, a free-flowing discussion from there. We're going to see how that works and see if you guys uh, and gals like that better. The discussion always gets better the more we drink. So the profundity is profound after that. Episode one, The Power of Grayskull. Eternia celebrates Tila as its new man-at-arms, but the knighting ceremony is cut short when Skeletor launches a full-scale attack on Grayskull. Grayskull being the, ta the castle of great power, magical 
power in the land of Eternia. Jason, I want to let you talk first about anything that leaps out at you in this first episode. What things jived for you? What did you think? Well, uh, when watching this this cartoon, the very first episode, and of course, people who are listening to this podcast are probably aware that there were a lot of controversies with some fans, which we'll we'll get to, and that we've already talked about a little bit uh, before. But one of the things that strikes me immediately when we when the first episode begins is that there's a lot that longtime fans of the cartoon, of the figures, of the comic strip, of, of all the other cartoons, anybody that's ever been connected to uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe at all, everything that is familiar is immediately kind of reintroduced to us. Characters that we're very familiar with, the arrangement of things, that, that Prince Adam is is secretly He-Man, and he's he is the son of the king and the queen, and his friends are Man-at-Arms and Tila, and he's fought with them for, for a long time. He has, you know, these people are all of his friends, and his primary mission is to defend the secrets of Castle Grayskull, which Skeletor is obsessed with, with getting into. I mean, I mean, basically, that's the entire Masters of, you know, thematic content of Masters of the Universe as a whole. Yeah. And and this episode begins with that. So anyone who's a He-Man fan would find themselves right at home. I, no, I, I agree. I want to back up a little bit because I want to talk about one of the things that this show really does build on. And it draw, and, and to do this, uh, it, it, it draws on just about every era and every iteration of the He-Man mythos. And there's a, there have been a bunch of different iterations. Jason and I talked about the mini-comics being different from the filmation show in an earlier in the earlier episode of this podcast. Uh, of this series on on Master of the Universe, but the this film doesn't have what, what what a lot of science fiction fans have come to know as the title scrawl, but it does have a, it, it, instead it substitutes a uh, Galadriel narration. Where uh, if you guys may remember this from Fellowship of the Ring, we get a long narration about the universe that we're about to inhabit for the next few hours, and this does a great job of actually fleshing out and giving us a much more fully realized world building experience. I mean, the old filmation show was really loose with the rules of the world of Eternia. Anything that went on in Eternia was whatever the plot required in the filmation series. This this show sets out a, a, a very concrete world building. Eternia was the first planet, maybe, in the universe, born of magic. I, I don't remember all of the details of the of that narration, but it's really well done. And the other thing that's, that, that even though it's kind of giving us a slightly new version of the, the Eternia mythology, it, it is also led us know through the use of the box art from the figures yes. this, this is also a he-man experience this is going to be it'll be a little different from what you are used to fans but it's also going to be drawing on all those those things you love about he-man and they and they, they start laying that track really early this is a new show but it's also what you love and that goes right into what you said jason about uh the moment we dive back in we're meeting all of our old friends our old you know we meet tila we meet man-at-arms we meet marlena and Randor and, and Cringer and Orko. And I'm sure that we'll we'll find lots of places as we go along here to kind of lay down markers of what we're talking about or what I'm about to say. That's that really, this serves as a very interesting soft reboot. And I almost don't want to use the word soft, but I do feel that in writing this and, and that in creating this, this this cartoon, this, this specific series, the season of this series that, that we're reviewing in these episodes serves as a soft reboot for all the different incarnations of Master mm -hmm. Universe. In, in our previous episode, also in our classic uh, review of the Dolph Lundgren film, which people should immediately shut off this podcast and listen to that one if they haven't, I make the statement that, that my favorite mythology is the mythology of the first 
first for mini comics. And even though there's no Prince Adam in those mini comics, um, this serves as a soft reboot even to that. Like, I mean, a, a lot of the mythology, even from those mini comics, are going to be brought forth again. And, and we'll get to that when we get some of those plot points. But the season of this cartoon that we're reviewing was really kind of designed to appeal to anybody and everybody who's been who's ever been a fan of Masters of the Universe. I think so. And one of the things I really, I, you're absolutely right. But one of the things I kind of dig about this is it's introducing us to everybody. It's also giving like really subtle and fun fan service. The opening scene we see uh, uh, after the credits, we see He-Man bringing two prisoners to Grayskull. At the same time that's going on, Tila's knighting ceremony. Tila's going to become the new man-at-arms. You get the sense that her father, Duncan Man-at-Arms, is going to retire from his post, maybe go on to inventing, doing what he likes to do, which is tinker. But while the, the, just prior to the knighting ceremony, there's a wonderful introduction to all of our favorite characters and all of the silly puns that happen in He-Man. He-Man was notorious for really almost artfully terrible puns, uh, but they're also playing with like catchphrases and they're, and they're teasing out fan service, but not in an obvious way. When Marlena, Queen Marlena, sees Tila off screen, she says, my goodness, Tila, you look like a warrior goddess. And I, I know that I, Jason, as a fan of the uh, of the uh, mini comics, would have immediately said, mini comics, that's what she was. She was a warrior goddess. She uh, She's the person who gives He-Man the power, his half of the power sword and his weapon in the mini comic, isn't she? Yeah. And uh, so very much a nod to that source material. Uh, Orko from the Filmation series was a bumbling mage, a terrible mage, in part because he was transplanted from a from his dimension to ours, ours uh, but but he tries to help Cringer through the trauma of the fireworks and Cringer gets hung up in, in Orko's shenanigans and Orko says, oh, does anybody have the power to get me out of here? And Adam pops this bubble that Cringer's stuck in. He says, I have the power. And it's all these little clever ways of, of hinting at what's to come and also reminding us of what we love about the old the old show and everything uh, to do with He-Man. So, so as a fan, you're getting these little tits, as a longtime fan, you're getting these little tidbits that are great, but also as a, whether you're a longtime fan or a new fan, uh, but especially if you're a new fan, everything that's happening is still fun and interesting. Even if you've never, ever set foot in the He-Man universe, the show is bringing you up to speed very quickly. So I, I can't sing the praises of this enough. Uh, this opening scene, these opening scenes, and they're and they're juxtaposed really nicely with almost dialogue from one scene, from one scene and location, the battle at Grayskull between Sorceress and the people who are trying to get into Castle Grayskull, finishing the dialogue from those scenes with dialogue from the scenes in the castle with, I'm sorry, at the knighting ceremony with Tila. It's all really clever and fun. I, I, I've watched this. I've watched this first episode, audience, like four times now. And the final time tonight, I watched it in Japanese just for fun. What do you want to say about these opening scenes? Well, I mean, I, I first of all, I would think anyone would enjoy this uh, this episode. I think this episode absolutely would kind of draw anyone into its story. The episode definitely does take for granted that we know who these people are. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, for, the for the most part, this series is made for people who are familiar with these characters and, and makes it very clear that, okay, we're going to reintroduce you to your friends. They're the same people. Their relationships are all the same. We're going to do some different things with them, but basically, these are the same people that you've known. Although, although Prince Adam is is actually skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he. It looks like he's a little younger than Tila. You get the sense. I get the sense that there's some potential romantic feelings between them. But the other thing that you get from it is that they're really good friends. And Tila Tila is very proud to be 
being made the new man at arms. Adam is very proud. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right that this is something that they don't spend a lot of time reintroducing yeah. us to. I don't think well, they I mean, really needed to because He-Man is such a cultural thing. Even if you didn't watch the show, you know most of the art, you know most of the major important pieces of the... Well, but but I would go back to what, what I just said about this being kind of a multifaceted soft reboot. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the intention is, you know, whatever iteration of Masters of the Universe that you love, this is going to be a continuation for you. And you're yeah. going to buy with it. So we're not going to have these dramatic reveals, yeah. you know, like you would do if you, you know, were introducing a new actor or, you know, a, a new performer in a in an iconic role. And then, you know, oh, we've, you know, we've got to, we've got to nail this. No, we know these characters. Yeah. So, you know, so we'll jump right in. And not only will we jump right into these relationships, but by God, Skeletor's already at it again. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Right. So while the knighting ceremony is going on, Skeletor has tricked Sorceress into opening Grayskull. He's used his shaping staff, which is, this is all, this is all He-Man stuff from the filmation show to, to transform he and Evil Lynn into Clawful and Spikeful. Yeah. And He-Man, of course, isn't really He-Man. It's a it's a character named Faker who, uh, strangely, fakes a lot of things. Namely, that he's that he's that he's He-Man. I think that's the only thing he does fake. <laughs> I don't know if he fakes other things, but he's like this android that looks like He-Man. So Sorceress has to fight Skeletor, Evelyn, Faker, and Skeletor's army. And Skeletor, we we learn in the, in the course of this, is not doesn't just want to get into Grayskull. He realizes now that there's something that the real he, he's he's somehow divined the real secrets of Grayskull and it's beneath Grayskull is this this secret knowledge of, of everything and and so that's what he's after and while Sorceress is dealing with all of his attack he wants her to bring your champion because he needs He-Man to be there Skeletor's back at it what did you think of that 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 the, this piece of it the the Skeletor Sorceress the Sorceress all all classic stuff the early scenes of this this episode are are, are, are very comforting because it's it all feels very familiar the animation is is, is wonderful to look at and and the voice work is great it is uh, uh, mark hamill who I, who I think is isn't he uh he's a rather accomplished voice actor yes yes, yes. he's uh in addition to doing other has he done anything else i'm, I'm not sure well i i, I think he's done joker <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 by many accounts, I'm I am I think I'm on some days I'm in this camp. He's the best Joker ever. I, I yeah, I think so. In my head, yeah. best Joker is uh, Tim Curry, who never played the Joker. There you go. There you go. But who I think should have. Yeah. Um, but since that never happened, I yeah, I give the nod to Mark Hamill. Yeah, he's great. My uh, yeah, we won't go into that. I, I think probably the, the that grounds well covered in our Batman podcast. Uh, who the best Joker? Well, I was. can't remember. That was a long time ago. It was it was a lot. <laughs> A lot of gin in between now and then. So yeah, everybody, though everybody is very good in the voice acting here. I mean, there's no bad voice actors in this uh, series. So one of the other things I like about what you just said, though, is that all of this is very comforting. Though that is, I think, a deliberate thing that Kevin Smith does in this first episode. What he's giving us in this first episode is this is the kind of He-Man experience you want. This is what this is your childhood. I'm going to ramp it up a little bit. It's more violent already. 
already. Yes. And and it's a, it's so it's a little more adult. It's more it's a more mature telling of this tale. I mean, nothing could can top the maturity and profundity of Dolph Lundgren's Masters of the Universe. But uh, this tries. This this comes pretty close. And so he's made it a little more mature. He's I don't know if this was ever hinted at in the show, but the show hints that his mother probably knows that Adam is He Man. That I wondered. I I don't remember that in the show. No. But I I like that. It's it's a nice touch. It's a nice touch. There are so many different comic book iterations of this show of this character. Maybe this was sort of hinted at in other comics. I don't know, but but it's a nice touch, and so I like that they they use that in this show because uh, she. Oh, I, I, what? If not, then it's kind of a nod to. I mean, assuming that Adam didn't know that she knew, kind of a nod to the Amazing Spider-Man comic when Mary Jane reveals to Peter that she's known that he was Spider-Man for years. Yeah, and never let on. Yeah, yeah. It might be that as well. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Prince Adam is is definitely a Peter Parker type character, except that he doesn't have as much trouble paying the rent in his lodgings. But yeah, it, it helps when you're the child of the king and queen, right? So that's a nice touch. That was the that was the thing I liked a lot. But the the action, I mean, in the old filmation show, He Man couldn't hit anybody. Yeah, you know, none of the characters could hit anybody. But but here you get lots of really good physical action. Mephisto clobbers somebody in the battle. But but anyway, let me back up a little bit. Adam gets the signal from Sorceress that she's in trouble and then that mobilizes the heroic warriors and they go to defend the Sorceress. And as Marlena's walking, I thought this was a nice little touching moment. As Marlena's going to the safe room of uh, in Eternos, which is the, the capital city on Eternia, she looks back and she says, be careful Adam. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, a nice, it's a nice moment. It's touching. And then he and Battle Cat go through their transformation. I'm sorry, he and Cringer go through their transformation and then they, they race off. The transformation scene is a wonderful update from, yeah. from the old show. The old show was always, it was kind of fun, but this was a, they gave us a new transformation, really vibrant color, really great music. Uh, I, I really dug the transformation scene in this. Yeah. One of the things that happens too that I kind of dig is when Man-at-Arms and Tila get to Grayskull, they're having this fight on the upper level. They know that Skeletor has gone into the basement of Castle Grayskull and Man-at-Arms says, I'll take care of this. He's fighting some creature and he says to Tila go stop Skeletor and I thought yeah. I thought that was really cool he's like she's capable she she's dealt with Skeletor sometimes more than he has in I was actually watching some of the old cartoons the other day it, it wasn't in infrequently that she would sneak into Snake Mountain just to see what the evil warriors were up to and then go back and report to the to the heroes what was going on but man-at-arms well he's there are two man-at-arms in this because Duncan hasn't quit he right. sends Tila into the into the into the bowels of Grayskull I guess I want to, I'm sorry, I've gotten off track there, but what I want to say is that the show is giving us these comforting He-Man moments. This is the show you want. Yeah, this is what you've really been loving. And in a few moments, all of that comfort, food, and nostalgia that we've been munching on is going to get torn away from us. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and and just to pause for a second, because I, I I mean, everything you say is quite accurate, but, but it does need to be pointed out. This is a little, you know, uh, what you just said about Tila. She's, a little, she's much more experienced at this point. The reason that she's now going to take on the mantle of man at arms is because she's she's just more experienced but they're not all older in, in terms of you know having gray hair or anything like that this is not uh you know one of the later three musketeers novels where where the musketeers are all basically old men you know coming out of retirement you know everyone is still in their prime man at arms is not i mean he's older but he's at retirement age he's not he's not grizzled yeah right? that's right that's right um, so so you kind of get the sense 
sense that, yeah, this takes place later than what we're familiar with. Yeah. But, but not a lot later. Not a lot later. No, no. I mean, Tila was the captain of the guard in the filmation show. I mean, she was she was headed towards some important position in Randor's kingdom. Right. And anyway, I, so, so I, I mean, I thought that was all really cool. And as is the arrival of He-Man on the battle, I mean, this is, this is sort of the He-Man we've always wanted to see. I mean, laying waste to Skeletor's people. A lot of classic Skeletor baddies make their appearance in this. We get a little bit of Beast Man. We get some Triclops. We get Trapjaw. Very yeah. nice. I really dig the, the design on Trapjaw. Jason mentioned last week that Trapjaw uh, was one, and Triclops were some of his favorite villains, and I agree. And I really, really like the Trapjaw design. It's just, it's a lot more intimidating than the, the old show, but it is still, it is still all of the major elements of the of the old, of that, of that character, you know? I mean, you recognize yeah. Trapjaw right away. Now, we see right away that Skeletor's time for this attack is limited because Sorceress accused him of being nothing more than the Lord of Failure. And we can see by the performance of his army that she's got a good chance of being right here. Yeah. It's still the case that Evil Inn is the most capable of his friends, Skeletor's friends. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in this one, though, Skeletor is much more competent than he was in the filmation series. Not He's he's a master of magic. He's not a coward, but he's less of a bumbler here than he is in the filmation series. But this is all great combat. When He-Man arrives, he's laying waste to the troops outside. Did you notice the hoverbots, the Horde, Hordak hoverbots in the army? Uh, you know, uh, yes, but I didn't make a connection. Yeah, I hope this series really kicks off because I would like to see I would like to see more of this. I would like to see some Shira stuff come into the series at some point. Oh, um, it can be done easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Skeletor and Tila are having a fight. It's not really going great for Tila, and that's when He Man arrives, and that's when we also get paid out Skeletor's master plan in the heart of a turn. I'm sorry, in the heart of Grayskull, there is a, a secret lockbox with the secrets of the universe. I guess that are in a yes. glowing ball. You have to open. The lockbox with the power sword, which is a mini comic. Yes, thing here, um, absolutely. Uh, in fact, well, in fact, the well, I mean, the toy yep. of Castle Grayskull had a latch. Yep, yep. For the toy, the, the the sword would open the the, the trap door. Yes, yeah, drawbridge. Yeah, and so when I used to play, I I always assumed that they that the two halves, which yep. we mentioned in the last episode, that that the swords were made to kind of be pressed together. You know, so I always assumed that you had to have both to open it, but it plays out here a little bit different, but it's the same idea. It is, it is. The battle looks like it's going terrible for our heroes. Skeletor's starting to get the upper hand. He's about to get the power sword. And just as he's about to grab it, the great and terrible Moss Man appears and is sounds pretty badass for a moment. He gives Skeletor a, quite a potent threat. And then Skeletor introduces the plant's kryptonite, which is fire. <laughs> And, yeah. and Mossman, one of my favorite characters, is gone in almost as quickly as he appeared. Yeah. Um, and here's some more of that fan service. Jason mentioned it last week when he was like, smells like pine after Skeletor's burnt him up. And that was the, of course, we talked about this last week. That's the, that was the, 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 the gimmick of the character. Well, uh, a quick a quick thing about Mossman. Don't they kind of make Mossman into kind of a tree beard type figure? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that's absolutely fair. If, in fact, he was, he's an interesting character and I, I maybe we'll get more 
more of him as the series plays out. I don't know, but he was he was a, he's a really powerful character in just about every iteration of of <laughs> the He-Man stories. In the filmation show, they didn't really trust him because he was really powerful and nobody could ever he could disappear into any any woods or any plant area, uh, and so people didn't trust him. Of course, He-Man today is lesson is that we don't judge people by their appearance, anyway, <laughs> or their smell. <laughs> But uh, Mossman gets turned into cinders right away. And that actually, we see He-Man get mad for the first time in the history of the series. Well, Dolph Lundgren got mad a few times, I guess. But, it, you know, if you're just a Filmation fan, you never saw He-Man get mad. He runs Skeletor through really violently. And yeah. and this is kind of another little bit of subtle fan service uh, when Skeletor says, finally, you've used that sword as it was meant to be used, boy. <laughs> and and then, then he says, to unlock the secrets of Castle Grayskull. And and he, he pulls the sword deeper into himself to make the key, which is the sword, open Grayskull. And Skeletor looks like he's about to win. He hits the he hits the orb with the Havoc staff, and everything looks like it's going to go all to shit. Jason, what what were you thinking in this moment? In these moments, as a He-Man fan? Well, I mean, really, I was I was kind of on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I mean, well, I, mean, I, I I was kind of aware of what was kind of I mean, I I'd already heard uh, inklings of what was going to happen, but to see it all play out. I found this all to be very thrilling, you know, high action drama. It, it, it was, it was really. I mean, these scenes are real, were really a joy to watch, yes. and really, yeah, just, just really exciting. No, I, I thought so too. I, I mean, I, I knew that I hadn't really, I didn't know it was going to happen to He Man. I knew that I knew sort of the how the story was going to play out, um, but I didn't know what was going to precipitate the tale. And so this is the, this is what we, this is what happens. Skeletor doesn't really know what he's doing because he is the lord of failure and by hitting this orb with his havoc staff he hasn't really unlocked the secrets of the universe he's basically triggered an explosion one would want to speak to the architects of grayskull about or skeletor should have at least dug a little deeper to learn how to unlock these secrets safely but so it looks like everything's going to blow up and everything freezes and this is where we get uh some interesting reveals which seemed revelatory to me even though yes. i knew even though i knew everything that adam was going to say i knew everything that's i, I knew the, the kinds of things that are on sorceress's mind but for some reason i feel like this show does a good job of putting us in tila's shoes in this moment adam comes up with the plant because tila i'm sorry sorceress freezes time and she's like, hey i just wanted to say hey guys i can only hold this for a little bit but i wanted to want to say bye to tila basically and tila's like why and she's like well they don't get a chance to say that because this is adam's kobayashi maru <laughs> And a win scenario. And Adam is not well. You guys can say your buys later, but I'm going to try and stop this. I'm going. I think I can save the day. And he says, "What if I say? What if I call on the power of Grayskull in, in this form?" Yeah. And Tila says, "This form." And Adam doesn't have time to play it. On. She's going to find out, and he knows that. I mean, this is just the way it is now, and she'll figure this out. And Sorcerer says, "Oh yeah, you, that probably would work. That probably would work." He Man calls on the power of Grayskull, and instead of transforming again into Hulk, He Man. Right. Basically attracts all this power into the into the into his fabulous sun sword. No, that's not right. Into his sword of omens. No, that's not right either. Into his uh, power sword. That's the one. And as the sword is absorbing all this energy, it breaks in half into the two swords. Not breaks in half. I mean, that would what happens here is the is the magical transformation that brought the original two swords together is undone, right. and the swords become the sword uncoupled. 
uncoupled. What a great way to say it. I was struggling there. Yeah. And as that happens, Tila's watching Cringer. Well, she's watching Battle Cat become Cringer. And realization you can see is this is a great thing about the animation. Realization is cascading over her. Yeah. And then as she turns back, we don't see her seeing He-Man at this moment because he's that, that's already changed. But then we we see Skeletor say, he's just a boy. And Skeletor tries to get the swords. And He-Man, I'm sorry, Prince Adam now looks back at Tila and then boom. And whoa, where's my nostalgia? Where's my happy comfort food? He-Man's gone. Skeletor's gone. Only the only thing left is the top of the Havoc staff. Yeah. There's a blackened place on the ground in front of the secrets of Grayskull. And the, I guess I presume next to the blackened charred remains of Mossman too. And Tila runs up and she kneels by the ashes or the blackened spot. And that's where we see her again. They, they, they just basically have her with that expression, but it's moved to Grayskull. And this is where the, so that was hair. That was all exciting. This is the emotional fallout of that. Right. Take it away. I've jabbered enough. Well, so um, Tila now, of course, knows the secret that Prince Adam, who was her friend, and He-Man, who was her friend, were the same person. And she's very offended by this because, I mean, she was friends with both of them. Yeah. It's not like that she was just friends with Adam and then, oh, there's that guy over there, yeah. He-Man. She actually was friends with, with both of them. She fought alongside He-Man. She, she was friends with Adam. I mean, they grew up together probably, yeah, you know, yeah. in the court. And she kind of, she kind of is very angry and feels betrayed by Adam. And not only by Adam, but she discovers that that her her father knew all along. And then she discovers that the queen knew all along. Yes. Because you know, she's very loyal to the kingdom, very loyal to her father. She's very proud and 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 loyal to the uh the role that she was about to play in the kingdom. But then she kind of and 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 you know, there's there's just a little bit, just a little bit. I'm interested what you'll say what you'll think about this. There's just a little bit of the Dark Knight Rises here. Mm -hmm. That um that Tila that 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 in some ways this secret of Adam being He-Man and the fact that they kept it from people and they felt like they were doing it for a good reason it kind, kind of provided a poison because both Tila and the king are very angry oh yeah about this I think that's right and I, I'll just jump in and I'll let you continue for a second one of the neat things after you watch this show four times is watching Tila travel emotionally through this scene because yeah. we get a bit of her reaction to everybody else's reaction it's neat too because I, as I'm watching it I'm, all, I'm, I'm wondering is there a moment where this could have gone differently and what i mean by that is like is there a reaction in in this room that causes her to, to snap and be like oh wait a minute fuck all these people that's i was kind of looking for that and something happens when randor so so to back up a little bit duncan man at arms the the older man at arms informs the court that he man died while defending the kingdom yet again right right and, uh, he succumbed and randor is like oh well he-Man will go off to his great reward in Paternia. Whew, that's too bad about that. He's he liked he. I mean, and, and, and I'm not. I, I'm I'm making it a little lighter than he gave than he really did deliver that. But this is just a, an associate of his, a friend, not a close friend. Randor is not close friends with He-Man. He respects right. He-Man. Grateful. He's grateful. Absolutely, him. and he recognizes the the good work that He-Man does on Eternia. But they're not close. You know, this right. is you know this is a guy who's uh, who will be honored by Randor profusely. But right. Randor would put his head down on the pillow that night, were things a little different, and be like, oh, that's too bad about He-Man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. Go ahead. 
Because Skeletor's gone too. So absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And so, but Marlena says, "Randor, we've lost our son." Yeah. And Randor is—I mean, he's not—he he doesn't come off looking bad here, but he does come off looking a bit clueless about. And so he's embarrassed. Yeah. Tila's embarrassed. I, actually, I think he and Tila—they have the same emotional experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that Randor, as king, feels weak. Yeah. But you also argue that he's very hurt, just oh. like that his wife kept this from him. His son kept this from him. His most trusted man at, at arms kept this from him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and then Randor snaps on Duncan. And I don't know if this is something that would last forever or if Randor would come to his senses someday and calm down about banishing. He banishes Duncan and says, look, if you ever come back here again, I'll have you kill. I'll have you executed. And Tila, that's when Tila snaps. You can see it happen. That's when she's like, okay, I'm done with all of this. You know, like this, this place is just a place of pain. One of the people who she is mad Maddest at for keeping the secret is Marlena. Yeah. And I mean, she singles her out. She singles her out. Yeah. My friends did this, but you knew she yells at Marlena and you didn't tell him Randor. And I, I thought that was great. And, and and I love everything that happens with Tila here. And so this is the thing that you and I have talked about a little bit uh, on the last podcast and this and something that we've talked a little bit about in the just between each other on on our various technological means of communicating in the modern age. But this is the story that I think has to be told. There's with the nostalgia that with that comfort food nostalgia we were getting, there was no new place to go. We could have. I mean, what we saw, though, was that, yeah, it would be really a lot of fun to go down this road, play the old the same old beats, the four champions know, you know, who He-Man is. We could play that that whole filmation series out in a more mature way with a little harsher violence. But okay, that would have been fun. But this is an interesting story. And it's the only interesting story left to tell from the filmation series, I think, that Tila, this is Tila's story a little bit, her coming to learn that a lot of what she thought she knew about the kingdom wasn't right. And she was left out of an important secret and I think that this is just a really wonderful twist on that nostalgia sandwich that we were getting earlier. It's 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 perfectly in line with everything that we got before this moment with all the old cannons. You know what I mean? It's it's not a stolen base, I don't think. Oh, no, no. I mean, not at all. I mean, and in fact, what makes this uh, episode great, and, and we'll we'll discuss more about the episodes and, the, and the, the sweep of this series as a whole as we go along, but the Filmation series was very episodic. It was, you know, you know, and today's episode he-man's fight fight so and so and okay it'll be a lesson at the end but there were no story arcs what is really established here by by kevin smith because I, I i think he wrote this first episode yeah, yeah but but what is established this is shakespearean yeah this is heavily character driven heavily emotional the stakes are very very high because all of eternia is at stake throughout all of this first season of, mm-hmm. of masters of the universe revelation and that's not true in in a lot of the of the filmation episodes it, you know it's just our heroes that are i mean i guess if skeletor you know is able to achieve his his goal that would not be good but here skeletor doesn't achieve his goal yeah. he he in fact is killed too yeah uh, and um but we i mean we, we end up finding out that eternia falls hard yeah here in this instance it's it's the royal court of eternia that falls apart and that's shakespearean yeah yeah very shakespearean i mean you know i mean i don't want to compare it to anything specific because this is, I think this is actually pretty unique. Yeah. But, uh, but, but um, you know, I, 
I, I guess maybe I'll throw out Hamlet, you know, where people are have all of these secrets and it, it, it's those secrets that end up kind of making everything rot from the inside. And it's only when Tila and Randor find out about it. But all of these connections, all of these loyalties, all of these, uh, you know, the, 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 this amazing fellowship that, came, that, that kept the kingdom and the planet of Eternia safe are suddenly shattered. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the just all of the, the, the kind of virtuous beliefs and loyalties to the secrets of Grayskull that none of them have. None of them know what those secrets are, but they but they defend them from the forces of evil and 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 they do it in the name of friendship and and order and all this kind of thing. And it's all unraveled because suddenly, in this instance, Tila and the king, which yeah. is actually rather important, are given very good reason to question what their standing actually was. Yeah, yeah. Without asking questions explicitly. I mean, Tila asks these questions. Yeah. I think that we're invited to ask these questions as viewers. Well, I think that I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, it goes even deeper than that because what we learn too is that the facade of Grayskull, that horrific nightmare yes. castle, was a bullshit lie too. Yes. And so it's interesting. What's interesting to me, and this is something that the the old show never did, and and there may have been iterations in the comic book that did it, but I I I, I didn't read a lot of the He-Man comics uh, except for the one that came in with the figures. But what is the price of all these lies? And I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting that with this these revelations is that what was gained by all of that lying was it worth the potential cost if these lies came out came came to light and what if they came to light in a really horrific way that like the only person who could have solved this problem would have been Adam if he if there was something that happened and and he was able to and he had to reveal he was He-Man but he didn't die then then that fellowship because the fellowship was all around He-Man and Adam right and he was the 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 central axle from which all these other spokes were connected and he could have he could have held it together probably he could have apologized to Tila he could have apologized to Randor and he could have you know smoothed some of that over but I maybe maybe but in this case that 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 that's that that actually kind of gentle nice person was gone and so Tila has so what Tila does I think this is an interesting move and I, I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about this Tila lumps him in with every all the other people and she says everybody was a pack of liars I spent my life defending all of you guys and you're all liars and Adam was no different and I I, I thought that was an emotional shield which is a she doesn't really she's not really mad at Adam she's sad that he's dead and yeah, but, but which is yeah which is expressed as anger yeah um, and the fact that you know she can't she can't now share this knowledge with him yeah you know if he had not died there would have been a mild annoyance or maybe a finger wag but you know let's go have some mead together yeah, yeah. something like that but he's gone well gone i mean there's no there's no closure there's there, there's none of that which happens when you have a fellow warrior yeah. but, but she she never got the chance she she feels that he did not trust her. yeah that's that's right that's right and even if she loses he-man she's she under under her worldview she's going to go back to grayskull and regale all of she's going to have some she's going to have her best friend adam to lean yeah. on and if this had happened like in say the spider-man reveal a la far from home yeah. uh, or something like that you get this you get the or like when sorry when aunt may finds out 
about that's Peter Spider-Man. What the fuck? But but it's an okay moment for a lot of things to click in place. Oh, well, that everything makes sense now. But for Tila, and this is one of the things I think is so powerful about this, this moment, when she puts it all together and has her M. Night Shyamalan twist ending, she gets to she gets to realize all this at the same time she realizes she loses both Adam and He-Man. And what a powerful, crazy gut punch for her and us as the audience who she's kind of our our window into the show i think in a lot of ways she's our she's the i mean she's the she's the hero of this half of the, sh- of the of i think of this part of the series yeah she is the hero yeah. of this part of the series and, and actually i think of the whole series yeah but we'll get to that but you know in some ways i i only had a very subtle different reaction okay in some ways uh, you know and i'm saying this you know kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, but in some ways, Tila would, Tila's not on our side either. No. Viewer, we knew all this stuff too. It's true, it's true. I mean, you see where I'm going with this, that, that actually there's almost like for us, we knew what was going on and we suddenly get to see this character that we know very well and that we care about and we get to see her react to, to all of this. And and I think her reaction was very normal. It was very yep. natural. That, that's the way one would, that, that's the way you would imagine that she would react. Yep, yep, yep. But, you know, we're kind of taken aback by it because because we know all these characters so well and, and suddenly to see her react to this betrayal and, you know, the great moment where she takes the kind of uh, little kind of warrior not a tiara her headgear that she uh, came with her fear that she wore in the cartoon which I guess is kind of assumed to be kind of like a symbol of her her role as as you said the captain of the guard takes it off and and she and she gets rid of it and she wants nothing to do with any of this absolutely which is kind of a nod to Disney's Frozen actually you know I I don't want this role anymore gotcha no and 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 that's the end of episode one power of Grayskull did we did we do we need to cover anything else before we tackle episode two the the only thing that would remain to be said is you know to anybody who, who has not watched this series and is just getting all their information about it from us which is a mistake you should go watch it i i have to say my reaction to the first episode was when it ended which it, it feels like it's about 10 minutes these episodes are so well paced so action-packed and we're just talking about this one right now but that they feel like that they're over in a blink and you immediately want to watch the next one oh, no hesitation that, that that just this story sets up a dramatic entanglement so so thrilling and profound that you cannot wait to see what happens next. I think that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah, so so you know if we you know want to rate these episodes separately, which is there's not really a reason to because no. um season is kind of an epic. I mean, it, it could be seen as more of a film yeah. than than a a, a a season of of episodes, but the first episode really does just seize the viewer and just drag them into Eternia uh, and, and you just you feel compelled that you have to you have to hit play on the next episode almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I pressed play on the first episode I didn't touch the remote except to say, of course I want to keep watching Netflix and so so that will take us to the next episode. Before we go on, I want to say one more thing about the series. The music is wonderful. It is a nice, yes, yes. Is a wonderful reinterpretation of the Filmation series. Like, I, 
I, it doesn't sound to me like you couldn't put the, I don't think you could put the si- the soundtracks side by side and see clear motifs, but I think that the, the composer clearly tried to capture that, that fantasy feel and that like that driving rhythm, I guess, uh, the driving melody of a good fantasy thing. But that also, but that also does, I'm sure if we looked, we would see some motifs that were grabbed from that old filmation show and yeah. given a nice touch with this composer uh well and and, and to 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 illustrate that uh Barry McCreary uh um ha- has been mentioned on Max and Jason watching movie before because he also was the composer for Godzilla King of the Monsters which is as you probably recall we we both praised that score you specifically praised it for echoing the original Godzilla score from the original film so he, he he's big into that he also did and this was mentioned in that podcast he did the music for the updated Battlestar Galactica. He did the music for The Walking Dead, which are, are wonderful, fantastic uh, uh, television scores. Yet the music is is really fantastic. It's um, it, it just and in fact, in many places, it kind of fits the kind of combination of magic and science that, as we will see as we go on, is is kind of a is kind of thematic. Yes, yes, absolutely. For He Man in general, but for this series uh, in particular, this series definitely leans into that dichotomy. All right. Audience, now we're going to turn to episode two, The Poison Chalice. Now, mercenaries Tila and her partner accept a job from a mysterious stranger to retrieve an old goblet from deep within Snake Mountain. Sidebar of Super Trivia for Masters of the Universe, Revelations, Episode 2, The Poison Chalice. In this episode, we don't really have a lot of new characters to really linger on for the heroic warriors, but we do have some evil warriors that get featured prominently in the episode. Their figures came out in the following order. Blast Attack, 1987, Wave 6. Trapjaw, 1983, Wave 2. Triclops, 1983, Wave 2. Whiplash, 1984, Wave 3. Stinkor, 1985, Wave 4. So into the sidebar of Super Trivia. This episode, we find Tila. Uh, time has passed. The world has moved on a little bit. We see these two. Uh, this is really neat. We we get the sense that in the opening scene that it is Tila and her new friend on a job, but they're looking for something. We don't know what Tila and her friend are talking through these really cool masks. They're in a they're in like a dump, and they're uh, like they're mercenaries. And as they're searching for this this item that they need um, amongst this trash, they run into one of the hallmarks of every Kevin. Smith movie. In any Kevin Smith movie, and I can't claim credit for this observation, I, I, I saw this on Screen Rant, the most foul-mouthed character in any Kevin Smith film is often accomplished by the Jason Mewes cameo. Yes. And Jason Mewes plays Stinkor, a, a very cool-designed He-Man villain. Uh, now, of course, Kevin Mewes doesn't let out a, a string of verbal filth. As he would in his other iteration as Jay. As Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, exactly. But he does have a really funny line that he delivers at Tila and uh, we'll learn the character's name is Andra. Get yourself stinking fingers off my merch, you dirty merc! 
just before he does spew noxious gas out of his mouth. He's also after this uh, this item. Several mercenaries have been hired to get this 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 MacGuffin, uh, which we'll, we'll learn is the glove of Glob- Globula. Fun little scene, a little action vignette. It's almost like the pre-credits action scene where we kind of, it, it serves to establish what Tila's been up to since the fall of Grayskull and the end of her time at Eternos. What do you think of this scene? Well, I mean, I love how, and not just this scene, yeah. but I love how this episode kind of slowly kind of plays out for the viewer, kind of plays out for the viewer how things have changed. Yep. Tila has shaved her locks, her, her long hair is kind of gone, and, and it's it's established that, that she is she's no longer in the royal court. Nope. I'm not even sure if there is a royal court uh, at this point. We don't know, no. Dang. There must be, and I'll explain why later on, but... Okay, some, t- some more time has passed, and we almost get the sense that this episode two is almost like the universe in episode four of Star Wars, Yes, where, you know, we, you know something's happened, and the universe versus no longer what it was and you know people are now mercenaries and there there's no true order to be to be found except you know manipulation and control and people attempting to exert their force and power on people and Tila now exists in that universe with her with her comrade Andra and they are now kind of soldiers of fortune yeah who you know if if you can if you can find them maybe you can hire that's right, that's right. They survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire Tila and Andra. has own two-person A-team. Now, audience, you will have heard my super trivia for the action figures in this, in this, the new action figure origins in this scene. You will notice that Andra isn't in that list. Andra is an old character from the He-Man universe. She appeared in the Marvel Comics imprint, Star Comics, which was an imprint of Marvel, He-Man Comics, and she was also a member of the Royal Guard with Tila. They were friendly rivals in that Marvel comics run. It was a very short run. It didn't last very long, I guess. But yes, she was, was a very capable member of the Royal Guard. The other trivia note uh, is the Glove of Globula was also from the comics. Uh, I don't know if they were from the Marvel comics, but the glove was wielded by a sect on Eternia whose power nearly rivaled that of Grayskull. And so, anyway, I, I, I was doing some looking in just to see if this if this had made an appearance in the filmation show. I knew Andra hadn't, but glob, uh, this Glove of Globula was interesting to me. I thought this got to this got to be a, a, a deep cut, and it was. And the other thing that's really funny in this scene, where the high priestess of Globula is explaining how the the artifact used to be quite powerful, used to guard against theft, which it doesn't work anymore. Which is why I had to have you guys steal it back. Without it, we can't we can't give our message of love. And the subtle, dirty mind of Kevin Smith did figure out a way to give a gag for adult watchers of the show when when Andre says "No glove, no love," which was a was a funny little nod to the importance of wearing condoms. That could have been the the message at the end of the show. What we learned today, audience, is that you should always glove up before intercourse. I wonder, but before we go on, I also thought it would have been funny to have Tila do the lesson of the episode in the uh, the end of The Power of Grayskull. So, audience, what did, learn, what did we learn today? Don't lie to your fucking friends and keep them keep secrets from them for their whole life. Um, <laughs> it would have been a nice bitter bitter moment. But anyway, they they get the glove and they demonstrate their prowess, and it's it's a I mean, and, and it's a really really fun scene. But as they're leaving the Temple of Globula, a main 
mage-ish woman, or they haven't even left the temple. This woman just appears, Majestra, and she offers them a job. Majestra, Majestra, and I'll, 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 I'll explain this now, and I'll, I'll reveal it later on. This is actually a ploy uh, well, I, that was used in the filmation series. Majestra is okay. a character from... Really? Well, yes. Well, she's not... I mean, the same thing happens in filmation that happens here. Majestra appears. Anyway, audience, I just want to let you know, Majestra is a character from the filmation show, and we'll pick up this... We'll pick this up again when the time is right. Majestra says to Tila and Andra, hey, I need you guys to get me an object. And it's it's a sentimental object. And it's a, it's an old... Before she can finish, Tila says it's some kind of magical thing, right? And you want us to get it. I guess that's their shtick, she and Andra. Yeah. And, uh, and Tila just says, all right, well, where is it? And Majestra says, well, it's in Snake Mountain. And without missing a beat, Tila says, all right, we'll get it. Be back here in two days. Sheila is... Uh, Tila, I'm sorry, is not intimidated by Snake Mountain at all. Andra is, but I just thought that was a really fun moment. It demonstrates how competent Tila is. And all these early scenes too sort of depict, I mean, it's she keeps it pretty light, but Tila is really bitter. And it's it, it's it's something that a friend could put up with. If, if we had a friend like that, we could put up with it because it's not it's not acrid, you know, it's not it, it's not acid bitterness. It's it's uh you can just tell it characterizes so much of how she views the world. She's critical of magic, and 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 it's always it's it's that chip on her shoulder. But anyway, go on, what do you think? Do you think I'm right? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, she's a lot like Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. She's now just like Indiana Jones in that story. She has a she used to have a great deal of respect for all this stuff. Yeah. But it's at this period of her life, she's working for the highest bidder because, yeah. uh, you know, for fans of the Indiana Jones series, Temple of Doom, which is highly underrated, is a film where kind of in this middle period of Indiana Jones's life in which he's he's kind of he's kind of a gun for hire he's kind of he doesn't have the 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 kind of morality or the ethics that he will have later that uh, all of these things belong in a museum he's he's quite willing to work for a chinese gangster yeah. in shanghai and that's where tila is here tila dissolving her attachment to the royal court has kind of made her into almost almost literally an indiana jones type character yep. who now goes around and is paid money to collect artifacts that have to do with that that ancient period of magic that she now holds in contempt. That's right. For, for very personal reasons. And and a lot of other people, as we'll find in Eternia, have also rejected. Absolutely. Absolutely. I prefer to think that Indiana Jones was just a little more adventurous with his sabbatical years than that he didn't have, he lost his morals. <laughs> this is an off-topic thing, audience. I had never thought about the fact that Indy was about to give an artifact to a Chinese gangster. For money. For money. I never, I never. Well, um, and, and actually, I, I think it is interesting to kind of linger on this topic because it is related to this. But because when I watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, go watch it, folks, and see if you agree with me. We'll we'll do this someday. But if you'll notice when, when Indiana Jones discovers that these are the Shankara stones, he doesn't say, oh, my God, you know, I need to get it for a museum. He says, what is Shankara? Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Like, Indy is, he, he is in for himself. Yep. And, and then at the end, he, you know, he, he kind of rationalizes, he gave it back to the village.
villagers because, ah, well, what's the point? It would have just been rotten away in some museum. And so I, I kind of prefer to look at Temple of Doom as kind of the moment where Indy kind of realized that there's actually more at stake and maybe maybe he does need to rethink what he's doing and then he gets the job as a professor at the university in what San Francisco or LA, wherever he is. I, I can't remember his university or if they even explain what university it is. But I, I read that into Temple of Doom, which I think is just fun. One could argue that I'm just kind of reading things into it. But I think that's what we're talking about here is that Tila, she now is kind of, in the case of Indy, we don't know why he got to that point. But in this case, we know exactly why Tila got to this point. Yeah. How she now, it's not that she doesn't believe in the magic of, of, of Eternia. She just has contempt for it. Yeah. Because the people who were behind it were deceitful. And and it wasn't just her friends. As you pointed out uh, when we talked about the first episode, these these unknown faces that 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 formed the secrets of Castle Grayskull even disguised the identity of Castle Grayskull. Everything was a lie. And so I don't think Tila cares if the magic is good or bad. She's just pissed. Yeah. And, 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 and so now she's just going to... I don't know. I mean, I could be making a leap here, but she's now going to use these artifacts created by these ancient magicians the way that these ancient magicians created a system of doing things that used her. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and well, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but she has she has a complaint about this whole business later on. But in the meantime, they take the job. And when they get to Snake Mountain, she we see it. I get the sense we see it as she sees it the moment she arrives which is to cause her to flash back to strangely a happier time for her where she's caught in a booby trap and she and He-Man foil whiplash. One of the dumber, I mean, I, I don't mean like I, mentally, one of the stupidest of Skeletor's henchmen, easily fooled and foiled as we, as, as, as ever. And so that was kind of nice, but it's a really fun little moment that we see. It's a nice memory for her. She and He-Man defeating Whiplash and presumably sneaking into, well, not sneaking, I guess, into Snake Mountain. It's it's interesting how we have to see her push that moment away. It's more of that character building of, of Tila. And Andra is the is Tila's tech person. She doesn't have man. She doesn't have Duncan anymore. Andra knows security system. She's very impressed with the with this security system that is now on Snake. Mountain. It's new to Tila. She hadn't seen it before, but they figure out. But since she had, since she knows some of the old ways of Snake Mountain, they get into Snake Mountain pretty easily because Tila, in the old show and filmation, she could sneak into Snake Mountain with ease, which is kind of crazy because Skeletor used to have this bubble which he could see just about anything that was going on in Eternium, except the pivotal transformation of Adam into He Man or anything that might have helped him win a single solitary encounter in the entirety of the series. But anyway, Tila always got past it and she never got seen in that in that bubble but anyway they get into snake mountain and it's all changed it's really tech it's very it's i don't know if kevin smith in, intended this but it reminded me very much of, of the borg yeah tila isn't bothered by any of this kind of stuff this is whatever it is it's fine she is she's not intimidated by snake mountain by anybody who's in it but they do find triclops at the center of a cult yeah. and uh this was really interesting i actually read did some reading on triclops before we started this series i, was, I take back I, I did some reading on him after watching this series because i was really curious as to how he was depicted in the filmation show and in the mini comics and this is a pretty in the filmation show almost 
none of the henchmen had a personality. Right. Trapjaw had more of a personality, and that shines through here. But the filmation Triclops, you could certainly play with. But in the mini comics, like we said in the last episode, Triclops was a hunter, and that was his main shtick. But here, he's 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 also given up on magic. He has he has more contempt for magic, almost more contempt than Tila does. Yeah. The question is why. I I kind of had this assumption that well, I mean, not that everyone knew about it, but reality almost came to an end. Yes. Magic. And, and which is very interesting because there has often been, and you can you can find dystopian literature about people turning against science yeah. because of the invention of the atom bomb and, and things like that. And so, but in in Eternia, people turn against magic yeah. because magic that, that that almost destroyed Eternia. And so there is now this new way that is found to manipulate people. And and I just found this to be great dystopian because I I love dystopian fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love it. I think it's very interesting when anyone writes about uh, how the precious ideas of the human race can be used for destructive ends. And that's what we're talking about here. I mean, even though we're talking about Eternia, the people of Eternia are like us. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what a myth is. So in this case, in a way that is strangely reminiscent of a film that we reviewed, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> yeah. Triclops has created, and by the way, I think that I feel like this scene absolutely mimics Conan I, the Barbarian. I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Triclops very much is channeling Thulsa Doom a little bit here. Um, he even dresses like some of the priests of Thulsa Doom. I noticed. Uh, and so it's like this kind of combination of the Thulsa Doom cult and the Borg. And they have this, it's this really awful, horrifying thing. They have this weird uh, techno goo that comes out of a out of a old Slurpee machine. I don't know what Triclops got there, but, but it basically will turn anybody who drinks it into some kind of cyborg that serves Triclops. Right. Now, I don't, I, I suspect Triclops may be a true believer. But one of the things I noticed while watching this episode was that Cyclops and Trapjaw and Blast Attack haven't drank the goo. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, is he a true believer or is he just somebody who's looking for power? I mean, it can be both. But it isn't both. Yeah. Let's see. Is there anybody that he had contact with who might have inspired him in his past on how to manipulate people and abuse people? No, I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's, he's certainly run with some shady characters, but but he's 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 laying out this this idea and people actually are, are flocking to become part of his cult. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, nobody joins a cult. You know, they think they're joining a, a, an interesting movement. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we have this horrifying kind of scene of a father and daughter, like, at the place. And we find out that they're there willingly. Ugh. And Triclops is, is giving his speech, and Tila interrupts after a really great line to Andra. She's like, I'll provide a distraction. And Andra's a little nervous. And, and Tila says, meter metal. We go through them, and we get, the go- we, get the, we get the goblet, and we get out of here. Tila is badass. You get the sense that Andra wants to be like Tila in that way. Yeah. You know, she wants to be a hero and she looks at he- Tila as a hero, even though Tila doesn't think of herself that way anymore. Tila's a mercenary now. But Triclops. Well, I mean, Andra, I think, is clearly younger and therefore, and, and I guess Tila has not given her a lot of information because Tila doesn't even, you kind of get a sense Tila doesn't even want to talk about her yeah, past. Yeah. So I'm not like she, that anymore. Now, ah, but it's interesting that it's almost like Tila 
has kept information from Andra. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now for I mean, and Tila's not aware of this. Yeah. Like, you know, to me, this is a blind spot that Tila has. I almost said in talking about episode one that I thought that Duncan and Adam and even Marlena, like they didn't think anything of what they were doing. No. And it's only after it happened that, you know, there was kind of this we were unfair. We shouldn't have done that. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's too late. Tila does not tell Andra stories because she has nothing but contempt for what she used to do. Yep. But at the same time, Andra is kind of kept in the dark. Yeah. Not not for reason. I mean, Tila is not being intentionally. She's not lying. She's just not talking she, about it. Yeah. It doesn't occur to her that she's withholding information from Andra yep. that Andra actually would want to know. Absolutely. But in Tila's mind, that's not information that anyone should want to know because that was all bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. But returning to our adventure in Snake Mountain, Triclops, I think, says why he's gone the way he has. Because he puts, as the kids say, he puts Skeletor on blast. Inane attempt after inane attempt. <laughs> you know, Skeletor failed. Magic failed. Technology is the way to go. And Tila says, it sounds like you've got more than a few sprockets loose yourself there. How about I straighten them out? And Triclops, has a, Triclops snaps his fingers and, and all of his people attack as was always the case not many not many of Skeletor's henchmen are a match for Tila and she provides the distraction Andra gets the goblet and they they make their escape as I said with some horrifying moments because like we see a father and daughter totally embrace the holy sprocket as, as one of the part of the triune uh, godhead that Triclops tells everybody about this action scene is it's a really fun action beat uh, Andra and Tila both get really clever moments where they get to do fun things Trap jaw kind of looks very menacing, but is not as actually menacing as he would like to be. Um, but I mean, this is all par for the course. It's all great He-Man stuff. And they, they get the goblet back. They earn a lot of, they earn a lot of coin, which is all Tila's interested in. And then that's when Majestra has another offer. And she's like, okay, hey, why don't you, well, you guys, you you guys have done one magic fortress. Why don't we complete the set? And this is the part part I was talking about earlier where Tila says, it's always this way with magic. It's always another quest. You always got to go get something else. It it never is just over. And she doesn't want to go to Grayskull. And Majestra, Majestra has a subtle dig here too. And I can't remember exactly what it is that Majestra says, but like Andra says, why don't you want to go to Grayskull? And uh, and Majestra basically kind of opens that old wound with Tila, you know, because she failed. I, I think that's what Majestra says. She failed and, and everything fell apart after that. And that's why she doesn't want to go back to Grayskull. And this is this is a, this is a moment of tension because as you said, this is where Andra is learning some things about her new friend or her. I mean, they, I get the sense they've been together for not long after everything went south at Eternos. Yeah. And she says, you didn't tell me about any of that. And that's like, as you said, well, nobody needs to know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> And this is where Andra says, well, I want to be, I want to, I want to do something big. I want to do something good. I want to do something. I want to be important or something like that. I want to do something important. Young, ambitious, idealistic. Yes. Yes. Tila certainly sees a lot of herself, I think, in Andra. And she's like, you you already are important as Andra. And Tila definitely sees those quests as hollow. This is an interesting moment that demonstrates Andra's kind of strength. where She's basically like, I'm going to go to Majestra. I'm going to go with Majestra. She doesn't say that word, those words exactly. Maybe you've given up on being a hero, but I, I think I'm going to take a crack at it, right? Yeah. And because of something Andra also said a moment before that, it was like, this lady, this lady Majestra is shady as fuck. We probably right. don't want going back to Grayskull without supervision. And at first, when Andra says that, Tila's like, she doesn't say this, and I'm, I'm going to Kevin Smith it up a little bit. 
who gives a fuck? Let's go. Let's leave this alone, right? It doesn't matter. And then that's when Andre says, well, I'm going to go be a hero. I'm going to try and be a hero. I think it's then that Tilo's like, I'm not willing to let another friend. I don't even know how much reflection Tila gives on this moment, but it's a moment where she's unwilling to let a friend go into danger without her help, right? Yeah, well, because because Tila's, Tila's rejection of everything is actually based in love, not in indifference. Yeah. And that's very important that, that you know, everything that Tila's doing is not true indifference. Yeah. She, it's because she loved all these people and now is angry. She was not loved the way that she deserved to be. Okay. Yep. And that's what she's angry about. She's not truly indifferent to what happens in Eternia. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, she- absolutely. No, no, I, I, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think that that's absolutely right. The bitterness and the indifference is an act because she doesn't, I, you know, a lot of what she's doing is basically to avoid a situation where she ever gets hurt like this again, right? Correct. It's a very human thing. Absolutely. Very um, lovable character. I, a, a, a character arc and one that we can identify with, I think. But she goes back and the, the moment they get to Grayskull, and this is why I think, let me back up a little bit. They get to Grayskull, Majestra says some smart ass shit. Tila says we could all be arrested for just being here. That's why I think the court still exists. I think that Randor's pop- <laughs> As I, I bet that it's a somber, less well-run kingdom than it was before. But I, I get the sense that Randor may may be as bitter as Tila right now, right? Marlena is sleeping in the summer house, the summer home. They're not together anymore. Or at least they've got different wings of the castle. I don't. It's not, we don't get all that, but that's what I think is going on. They they go and they find that the sorceress is still there in Castle Grayskull. Majestra says some things to the sorceress, also kind of betraying bitterness. You have this magic. You're the only one hoarding all this magic. Uh, she and uh, it's it's a neat little moment, also where they kind of reference the Dolph Lundgren movie, the aging sorceress. That's yeah. yeah. We both noticed that. The thought had the thought had occurred. <laughs> and it's th- at that moment though where Tila reveals that she knew Majestra was Evil Lynn the whole time. Yeah. And, and what I wanted to say earlier, audience, I said that, that Majestra was a character from the filmation show. Evil Lynn did this exact number in the filmation show as. Majestra with the shaking staff and pretended to be somebody else. I thought that was kind of a, a cute touch. Also not a figure though, Majestra, because it was evil in. Right. And this is where Tila learns that again, people were not being entirely honest in the magical world. Uh, evil Lynn and Sorceress were working together. Cringer's there. Cringer stops her from like running Evil Lynn through. And that's where we learn that there's a bigger quest afoot. Take it away, Jason. Yeah. What's the quest? It is revealed by the Sorceress that that she's kind of working with Evil Lynn. Because basically, you just got to back up. So He-Man and Skeletor are gone. So, you know, in the days of He-Man and Skeletor, there was this battle between good and evil for the magic of Eternia. Now the battle is kind of for magic to survive. Yes. And so now we have a lot of real, a very interesting realignment, which we will get into more even in the next episode. But the Sorceress and Evil Lynn are working together to save the magic of Eternia. And so the Sorceress asked Tila to find the two separate halves of the Sword of Power. And, and and that actually is the quest yes. or kind of the primary plot of this uh, series is the quest to to obtain the two swords, which, of course, I'm sure you are, are very aware that I was I was delighted to find was the case. Yeah, says, well, I think I got a text from you that was like the two swords, the two halves of the sword.
swords. Yes. You, Jason was really excited about this, and, and justifiably so. The swords, the two halves now res, reside in the realms from at which they were made. The sword of light. So the, this is an interesting thing about the, the power sword, is that it is like a sword balanced by equal parts, you know, it's half good, half darkness. The dark half has gone to reside in Subternia, basically the the Eternian underworld. Right. And the, the light half has gone to Praternia, which is sort of the uh, I, I read today that it's sort of like the the Eternian Valhalla. Or the Elysian Fields. Yeah, exactly. Or the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, probably I think more I think more the Greek myths here are, are the are the appropriate analog Subternia and... Probably yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, because yeah. Uh, I, I know it, I, I would say a combination. I mean, we don't want to jump ahead, but actually yeah. all the heroes are present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but there again, now that I say that, the Elysian fields are mainly populated by the heroes. So, yes. yeah, quite right. It, it, it's the Greek. Well, I, the I, Greek I, I, I feel like there's so much of that, and we'll get into this later. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because there's some fun stuff to cover there. But Tila doesn't want to do this when it's presented to her. Oh, sorry. Uh, so, the, the, but the other part of the quest is that they've gotten this last bit of magic from the from the Havoc staff. It wasn't really a goblet. That was a more shaping staff magic. Yeah. It was the last bit of magic from the from the ram's head of the Havoc staff. And what they were going to do uh, was they're going to use the last bit of that magic to reforge the power sword and basically recreate the conduit that drives magic through Eternia and makes Eternia go round and round, I guess. Right. And so Tila is still kind of upset. She doesn't want to do any of this because it's the same old, same old. It's another quest, more right. lies. The other thing too that happens here... And before we get too far ahead, I think this lays down the beginning of Evil Lynn's arc as well. Certainly. Some of the magic goes to keeping Sorceress alive, I think. And then Sorceress gives the rest of the magic to Evil Lynn. She puts it into that that, that weird wand that she's got. And Evil Lynn says, you'd trust me with this. And it's not a sarcastic question the way Evil Lynn asks it. I think that Sorceress misses something there from Evil Lynn. And because Sorceress says, well, oh, I trust that our, our goals are aligned. But I don't think... Yeah. I, I don't think that's how Evil Lynn meant the question. I, I There's an arc that Evil Lynn goes through that I think is really neat. And I think it's going to play out in part two, but I'll, I'll make my prediction. Yeah, it's not over. It's not over. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that, and I'll leave those predictions for the end of the episode five. But Tila doesn't want to do it. Cringer jumps through with the day's lesson in the episode before, before, the, before the end credits. But he's the one who helps her identify that what she's doing is not anger. It's about fear and about hurt. And it's a really touching little moment. And then Tila, you know, kind of acquiesces and is like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And Andre says, all right, we're going to hell or something like that. It's a really kind of a funny line. What did you think of this, this end part? Cause it's not, there's not an action beat really. It's all, it's all character driven. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it's all setting up what's to come. I think, and, and I would put it this way. The first two episodes are Shakespeare. Yeah. Beginning with our episode next week, when we be, uh, dive into episode three and, and further, we transition into Homer. Yes, yes. I think that's right. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, yeah. You know... This is this is Telemachus getting his quest from Athena. This is Odysseus trying to get home. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely right. This these two episodes, the the first episode sets up the problem that the quest has to solve, and and I think that it does this all really delightfully. No, yeah, I would argue perfectly. 
Yeah. Not only that, but like, I actually feel like, and, and we'll, this will be for later, but we dive into Eternian metaphysics far more than we ever thought we wanted to. Well, you are absolutely right. And this is a danger too. This is a, this is a danger that the writers navigate so well. We could have got midichlorians instead. <laughs> I'm right, right? But instead... Yeah. Instead, we got the Force, as it was told to yeah. us by Obi Wan back in A New uh, Hope. Yeah. And this is great. It doesn't try to. It doesn't try to over-explain anything. It, it it tells us these things in kind of broad mythic terms, and it works brilliantly. Yes. We, there's 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 such a thing in science fiction, especially science fiction fantasy, which is what Star Wars is, which is what this is, where you try to two thousand one it up, and yeah. there are some properties that just can't sustain that. <laughs> And because uh, yeah. you've already because you've already committed to space opera, and that's this is space opera. You know, this is not hard science fiction. So we don't need we don't need we don't need a lot of in depth things. We can do this kind of mythic this mythic stuff just fine. But yeah, I think it sets up this really really brilliantly. It sets up some dramatic stuff to happen later. I mean, I really do dig. I do I do like Evil Lynn's arc in this in this part one, and it begins here. Anything else that you wanted, anything else you wanted the audience who who, who were maybe listening and watching along with us anything you think they should anything you want to highlight in this episode for them that's you know for now i'm good i, I as i said from episode one yeah after watching episode two i i felt the same thing that i felt when i saw the first one i was like you talk about a narrative that is paced in such a way with drama action that just sweeps you along sweeps you along we're always looking for that oh absolutely yeah this is it all right folks Next week, we will be covering episodes three and four. Expect some more He-Man trivia. Expect some more reactions to the story as it unfolds. Jason, what are you watching? Uh, anything anybody needs to see? Um, uh, not anything from me right now. All right, audience, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest everybody go out and watch the new Snake Eyes movie. Jason and I will have to tackle it because we have, we are completists and we'll have to finish our GI Joe set. Share us on all the social media. Share us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Text us to your friends. Email us at lordmovies39 uh, at gmail.com. Text me or tweet at me at the supper test on Twitter. Jason is a bit of a Luddite and hides in a cabin, so he doesn't have any of these kinds of contact informations. He is, in fact, communicating to me with me through a can with a string, and it's the, it's the wisest thing he could do. I exaggerate. Uh, I'm using a walkie-talkie. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Folks, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's pretty much it. Ha <laughs>